0: Ledger is a writing podcast and a celebration of being with your crowd. I'm your host, Austin Wilson. Welcome to the show. Today's guest is James Spooner. He is the author of the graphic novel The High Desert, out now from HarperCollins. He's also the creator of the documentary Afropunk, uh, which is an awesome documentary about what it's like to be a black punk fan, uh, which James wrote also about in The High Desert. Uh, It's a graphic novel that's set in the late 80s, starring James himself uh, as a teenager. It's a memoir about when he discovered punk rock, and as the book's synopsis says, uh, he's mixed race and acutely aware of his blackness. James doesn't know where he fits in until he meets Ty, a young black punk who introduces him to the school outsiders, skaters, unhappy young rebels, caught up in the punk groundswell sweeping the country. Uh, it's, it's a memorable coming-of-age tale that has the, the rebellious nature of punk rock driving the, the pining that all teens seem to universally feel, uh, that the yearning that we all have to discover ourselves and to just go somewhere else. Uh, you follow along in the story as James navigates the world and, and all the, the shitty things that happen in the world, um, but also as he discovers uh, the beautiful parts of the world as well. Um, it's it's a great, great book that touches on a lot of stuff that means a lot to me we talk about how the tagline of the book came about, it's Black Punk Nowhere so we talk about that uh, also about how he wrote characters with unique voices uh, based on memory uh, since it's about him growing up uh, and also about the challenge of, of moving past pain when you're, when you're writing a memoir about things that happened to you and other people that you knew and um, Also other things like, you know, did he write a script and when did the narration boxes get added? So we talk about the craft as well. And we also talk about some of the best punk shows he's ever been to and just the the magnificent joy of being at a punk show and experiencing it with a crowd. Uh, I love the high desert talking to James was a blast. So I'm excited for you guys to hear it. Uh, make sure you go to his website. Spooners, no fun. That's his last name. Spooner. And then S there's no apostrophe, but it means Spooner is no fun. But uh, I think he is fun by the way. Spoonersnofun.com. Uh Check out all of his work. Uh, make sure you also check out the anthology that he has coming out from soft skull press. He co-edited it with Chris L Terry. It's called black punk. Now it's going to be coming out on Halloween day of 2023. Um, you can find his book basically everywhere that books are sold. It's, it's been a pretty awesome success, I think, and, and people seem to really love it along with me. So yeah, make sure you make sure you go to his website, check out the book. Um, as always, go to my website, austinrwilson.com. You can follow me on Medium, the website, at Austin R. Wilson. I also publish on Shibboleth uh, there. I'm on Twitter for now. We'll see if that uh, continues to, to last, but uh if not i'm if i'm not there i'm definitely on medium and on discord at austin r wilson but as for now here's my chat with james spooner first thing i want to talk about is the title mm-hmm. and it, it's kind of listed as a as a almost like a tagline also black punk nowhere yeah. i wanted to talk about when that came into the writing process when the title came in and um it's not something i've really gotten a chance to talk to anyone about yet about naming the thing that they're going to be putting out and that word nowhere i thought about it a lot after after i read your book because it's so rooted in two different places like literal actual places um but obviously has thematic underpinnings to it as well so i kind of wanted to talk about including nowhere and when you arrived at it for for the title Mm -hmm. and how it expresses some of the stuff that you're that you're talking about in your book.
1: Sure. Um yeah, that's a good question. So uh I so the, the name the high desert that came pretty quickly um into the process. Um but the 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 subtitle or like the subline um I, I definitely played around with for a very long time. Like well past the time where I had turned it in. Um, And uh, I mean, truth be told, it's like marketing, you know, they, um, you know, my editor was like, um, we need to, we need people to understand that this is a black punk story. So like you have to come up with a, a subtitle that explains that, you know, So, you know, I came up with all of these, like, you know, grandiose, like, um, trying to be clever, um, titles and, um, just like the actual title, the high desert, uh, the credit goes to my partner, my, my partner, Lisa, um, she was just like, uh, I was just saying I needed to say that it's black and I needed to say that it's punk and I, and it like it, you know and there should probably be something about like you know where we live or why it's called the high desert or whatever and she just was yeah. just like what about black punk and nowhere or you know whatever some some something that like you know 30 seconds later was like oh black punk nowhere here we are you know like um but I think it, it you know it it's been a, uh, you're not, you're the first person to ask about the process of getting that to that place, but you're not the first person to ask about that, that, that title um, because there is something poignant about, like, stating that we're nowhere, you know? Right. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I, one of the themes of the book is that, like, everybody wants to get out you know? Yeah. And so being, and and I think as a reader, most of the country lives nowhere, you know, or what our definition, our working definition of nowhere is, right? So if you don't live in one of the major, you know, metropolitans, then you probably live in a small town, you know? So, and that can definitely feel like you're in the middle of nowhere, you know?
0: Yeah. And that's, A lot of the stuff that I connected with in your book, um, I saw myself in you and, in you know, situations that you found yourself in, but also just being like, I've got to get out of here, Mm -hmm. that, that yearning to, to go somewhere else. And it was so interesting for me to, to, to find myself in your story because, you know, I'm a white guy and it's not my exact story, but all of the ways that it crossed over with my life and the same situations that I would find myself in that, that you're, that you were in and in, in your story and feeling drawn to the book. I, I, literally left a record store and went to a book, a bookstore, and I had just bought a couple punk albums and I saw that, like that marketing worked because mm. <laughs> I was like, Oh shit, there's a book about punk. I'm cause I was already in that, that mindset and finding, I, I guess the, the thing I'm so interested in is I was talking about it with my wife last night, because we watched Afropunk last okay. night. I found a copy of it and, and we watched that and about the the ways that these stories connect with everyone and manage to be so singular at the same time mm-hmm. that your story is is uniquely yours, but is also a lot of other people's and you know, you see other people talking about that in your documentary Afropunk as well. When you were, when you're writing it, when you, you know, you're writing this, this graphic novel, um, because the cover literally has three people looking down on mm-hmm. you. And that was something that I kept thinking about is the ways in which we gatekeep and breaking past the pressure to feel like you have to define yourself while everyone else is defining yourself. Um, walk me through as you're writing, you know, where are you thinking about these themes? Are you thinking about them at all? Or are you just like this? I know I have to hit this story beat because this happened or I'm utilizing this aspect of my life to tell a a certain part of my story that's going to hit on the theme. Is that in your mind at all?
1: Yeah. I think all of those things are happening at once. I mean, part of part of memoir is knowing where to start and knowing when to stop. Right. Like, it's a little yeah. bit easier than than writing fiction in that like the plot has already happened you know so yeah. you just kind of figure out how to tell the plot right but um i don't remember who said it but uh you know without a plot without a um without an antagonist is just a bunch of stuff that happened did i yep. hear that on your podcast
0: i think uh daniel joshua rubin i chatted with him and he was like you're just telling it's just shit that happened." yeah happens.
1: as i as i was quoting it i was like i think i heard that on your podcast
0: so thank you um <laughs> yeah
1: so yeah i mean it's you know it's like and luckily uh you know for the story not necessarily for my life like there were a lot of antagonists in that moment you know um yeah so writing so Getting down that stuff was not a problem. I think um, the other part of memoir I learned is is uh, being an adult and looking and 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 having context for your memories, right? Um, and that's where you know pretty quickly when you when you start reading, well, immediately when you start reading the book, you get that like. There's, an, uh, there's uh, the black boxes are me as an adult talking about things that happened when I was a kid. Um, right. And I think that uh, that's where a certain magic happens um, that may lend itself to, you know, to the question, the, a- answering the question, you know, it's like I'm, I'm at the same time writing what happened or showing what happened plot wise. And then I'm also uh, telling what happened in certain, in a certain way um, as an adult. Right.
0: Yeah. And that's the, as I was thinking about memoir specifically, um, does it feel like you're in a, a conversation with a version of you that doesn't exist anymore or, or that has changed so much that it's, that, you know you've become the you now that that can write this thing do you feel like you are i mean i don't want to say like healing wounds or or maybe like addressing specific thing specific failures in your past or or does it feel that way
1: yeah i think it does i think that like part of um part of being able to i couldn't have i couldn't have written this story uh while i was still in high school you know um yeah because it would just be more like a journal. Here's some things that happened. Um, This sucked. Fuck that guy. You know, like, that kind of thing. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, so it's it's through, and I don't even know if I could write it while I was healing from it, you know? Um, I think the success of this particular story is that I have enough distance that I can even have empathy for the Nazis. You know,
0: well, that was one thing I, I so pro, it's funny you brought up protagonists and antagonists. Cause that was a question I was going to ask, but also that I wondered if you writing, this was almost like a, an answer to finally being like, I feel like I am enough of myself that I can, that I can get this story out of me or, did this help you like complete that process? Or is that a process that ever reaches a point where you're like, I am me now, because I feel like in high school, that's one thing as I'm reading it, I feel like high schoolers, we, we always, or, you know, young people, you know, even into our mid twenties, we feel like we're going to arrive that we'll get to a point where we're like, all right, I'm Mm -hmm. done. And does that seem Like, did you write this from a place where you're like, I got, you are, you did mention distance, but that you got to a point where you're like, the empathy for the Nazis. Um, Is that because you finally arrived at least somewhere? Not obviously not the final place you're going Mm -hmm. to arrive, but past things enough?
1: Yeah, you know, it's like the process of making Afropunk was, uh,
0: that was like a healing
1: on the job uh, film. And uh, and it had a lot more anger, um, and this book is, you know, I the I'm 13 in the book, but I'm 46 in real life. You know, so I'm like, I've got a lot of time, and I've and I'm able to. So there's the first thing of just like the surface level, like, oh, I'm dealing with extreme racists. I'm dealing with like. Um, you know, not fitting in and all of those things that are really, uh, take precedent when you're in high school. And then there's these other things that I'm currently grappling with, with like, you know, ego and dealing with, um, I don't know, like low self-esteem and, you know, self-destructive behavior or whatever. Right. Like, you know once i got past one thing like the self hate that i had like you know like there's there's a a a couple of panels or scenes in the book where i'm like oh you know 13 i'm looking in the mirror i'm like crunching my lips together wishing they were thinner i'm like pulling my hair imagining my hair in a different kind of way um like yeah, I'm over that stuff. I'm healed from that stuff, you know. Um, so now I've so I've I've come to accept like this is who I am. This is what I look like. Uh, I recognize that regardless of any of that, like I I don't question my identity as a black person or whatever those things that I was challenged by um, in my teens and twenties. But then there's a whole nother layer to un pack, you know? And, um, yeah and some of that I was writing on the, on the job. So like when I'm in the book, when I, uh, should be there for my friend, but I ghost her, like I'm able to look at that from the perspective of like, Oh, I have a hard time being vulnerable. Um, and you know, to this day, I have friends whose parents have passed away or whatever. And I have to force myself to be vulnerable and say like, Hey, you know what, I don't know what to say. But I love you. And I'm here if you want to talk, or if you don't want to talk, and you just want to like, do something to get your mind off of it, you know, like that literally happened a couple days ago. And I had to force myself, like, I, I probably wrote that message to my friend uh three days too late or later than i should have because i still am like how do i deal with this you know um so some of it is like yeah i'm all good others other parts of it is still you know riding on the job exploring as i as i learn it you know
0: yeah and there's a special feature on the Afropunk DVD that shows you talking about making the film in a a place of emotional vulnerability and that you are, you know, learning to, to deal with some things. And it's those, those moments in the book where you show yourself in vulnerable. Um, I, I guess like, like you show yourself like a, like, like people are, um, you mentioned one point that, you know, you would stay quiet to fit in or to avoid an Mm -hmm. ass beating. And that's one thing I, I, as I was taking notes, I was like, man, this is just one of the most succinct summations of what it feels like to be an American teenager Mm -hmm. sometimes. And you also apologize to your mom, you know, in the, in one of your captions and were those moments that you struggled to to keep in? That's one. I mean, that's a, a kind of a standard question for memoir writing. But I just am so interested in the process of arriving at a point, especially, you know, hearing you talk about being vulnerable, because to me, the book reads is very vulnerable in a great way. And I would love to know more about the process of writing them, getting to the point where you're like, all right, I have to draw the panel now of me, you know, being mm-hmm. a shithead was how did you arrive at the point where was it through help of an editor through the help of your partner or because that's another thing writing is not as solitary as we sometimes think it is. Obviously, there is a lot of solitary a- aspects of it. But how did you arrive at the point where you're like, All right, yeah, I'm, I'm keeping the scene in where I'm saying the thing that I wish. I Yeah. Um, well, I mean, r- first of all, right off the top, I
1: I always give my so much credit to my partner because she definitely was my first read also like would challenge me to the point of tears sometimes making me, uh, yeah, really question, uh, is this the best way to say this? Is this the, I mean, you know, is this the best way to draw this? Like, you know, whatever. So, um, you know, so always and forever like props to her. Um, but you know i think like there's certain there's certain vulnerabilities that i've never had a problem with um and you know i think talking about those kind of like mistakes in uh i mean when i was when i was in high school i was writing zines about like dumb shit that i did you know and apologizing for things or whatever, you know, I, I think that that part isn't so hard for me. Um, I know that I walked into this story knowing that most of my readers, um, may have a hard time believing the, uh, the like blatant flagrant, uh, racism that I experience. Um, Just being like, oh, come on, like, really, kids with swastikas on their trapper keepers, like, you know, um, or really, like, your two black kids are friends with a Nazi, like, how's that work? You know, like, I knew that that would be, that's not a common experience, even though there's obviously probably a common experience for Nazis to have friends of color and they have to, they have to try to figure (laughs) that out. But um, it's not common for Everyday people to be like, oh, like I I've known many Nazi skinheads in my life. Um, so in order to like prove to my reader that I'm telling the truth, I have to. I knew that I would have to divulge things about myself that are not flattering. You know, yeah. um, and so once once you once you get through, like, oh, this kid, like, um. Like I said, like ghosted his friend when she was in need or, you know, didn't speak up when, uh, you know, when, uh, he should have or whatever, like, um, yeah, so maybe I'll believe the other stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely understand, uh, balancing that way and it plays into an, like life doesn't really uh, break down into Mm -hmm. three act structure, you know, like and the antagonist thing, like you're saying, um, how did you, how did you find the balance of telling a story? Like, did you set out to tell the specific story of, I mean, obviously, you know, it's, you know, you're, you're going to New York and you're finding a, a much larger community and you, you finally feel, not that you have a purpose, but like, there's just Mm -hmm. more possibilities. How did you balance? And I definitely want to talk about the literal, like if there was a script or a beat sheet or like how you broke the story down um, of showcasing your life and telling a story, because you have to, like you said, like it shows on the um, copyright page, like maybe some things have been conflated or all the names have changed. Like where was the the through line where you're like, okay, I'm telling this story, but I can't tell this portion of my life because it would make this seem weird or, or mm-hmm. unbelievable. Like you said, how'd you find that balance?
1: Well, um,
0: I mean, I come
1: from film storytelling and yeah. which often does like comfortably land in the three act structure and is like, you know, tell the whole story in 90 pages, kind of script writing. Um, So while I didn't hold myself to 90 pages, I did uh, understand, you know, beginning, middle and end. And the story that I'm, I'm telling is a simple one of like discovering myself through punk rock. Right. 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 But what makes it complicated is that I'm black and I live in this town that where the other punk rockers are racist and, um, you know, and we don't know because it's 1989. We don't know what we don't have access to all of the, the things that punk can be. So it's limited to, you know, what somebody's big brother told us about some, some, uh, you know, movie that we saw. Um, maybe somebody had a, I mean, nobody even had a copy of Maxim Rock and Roll, you know? So it's it's really just kind of like yeah. taking bits and pieces from like anything that we could get our hands on, right? Which was not much. Um, so I understood that like, I think when I was writing down, okay, here's all the things that happened in that first um in my my first in the book it's one year, but in real life it was two years. My first two years in punk living in this desert town, you know? Here's all the things that happened, right? I just kind of wrote them down. And then in there, I'm like, um, oh, we didn't know shit about shit, you know? Like we we really <laughs> right. uh were all posers because we didn't know what punk rock was really about and as you know as a uh, older teen out of that town you know i i had very strong feelings about what punk rock was really about so you know i started to think when did i discover when did i get glimpses of what punk was really about you know and it was in movies like another state of mind where they talk about diy in a very like Uh, This is what DIY is. This is what punk rock is. is. You know, hearing the guys from Youth Brigade or Minor Threat talk about their version of punk was like, yes, that, right? For me. Um, Watching Suburbia was more like um, just exciting um, visuals. But, you know, those kids weren't doing punk in the way that I eventually as an adult would, or as a, as an older teen come to believe punk is. So then how can I, so then I'm, so then I'm asking myself as I'm constructing or formulating this, outlining this story is like, what is my agenda? You know, and my agenda is to tell people what I think punk rock is, you know, and it's not breaking bottles and Mohawks, you know, it's, DIY, it's politics, you know, so then I'm like, okay, where, when were my real experiences of learning that? And that was when I started leaving town, you know, and meeting other punks who, who were, you know, squatting and, um, doing food, not bombs and anarchists and vegan and, you know, like doing zines. So I had to put that. So that's what I put in the story, you know? Um, Yeah. So it's like, you know, all of that stuff happened. Not all of that stuff happened in that order, you know. But that's kind of like, um, that's the storytelling part of it, you know. And I would have a hard time believing anybody is like, yes, this is exactly the way it happened. Uh, You know, like,
0: well, yeah, our memories are sort of famously mm -hmm. malleable. (laughs) We can misremember mm-hmm. things pretty easily. Yeah, and
1: the, th- the other thing that's, you know, is interesting for me is that I wasn't connected to any of the kids who I grew up with, um, like, until I started writing this book. So, you know, um, with the exception of one of the people that Melody is based on, I kept in touch with. But, like, all of the kids... As soon as I left, I never looked back, and and I also changed my name when I moved, so um, nobody could like piece together that uh, to look for James Spooner. You know, if somebody was is was interested. Yeah. So um, so I just like was not in contact with anybody. So when I started writing the book, I found all of I found I got reacquainted with almost everybody who's in the book and um and ve- and i you know i i'd ask them like what do you remember you know and their memories were interestingly were either the same memories i had or memories that were irrelevant to me and my story you know so yeah. it kind of was shocking to be like oh memoir really is just your memories how you remember them you know Because, you know, maybe a friend could tell me, like, something about my energy or attitude or whatever, but the only thing, the only one piece of information that somebody told me that ended up changing a piece of the book was when I got in touch with um, the Jenny character who is, you know, a a preppy girl who um, had a crush on me. I remember, like, I hadn't written much yet, and I, I was like, you know, how did I break it off with you? Like, I feel, you know, like I, I don't remember that at all. And and she was like, you didn't break it off with me. I broke it off with you because my friends wouldn't let me hang out with you. And I was like, <laughs> oh, that is actually really. That's so much better. Yeah, <laughs> so much better for my yeah, story that's way you know? better <laughs> um, so you know in real life i had probably two or three one week relationships that that year but i didn't include any of them because they were not yeah relevant to the story but jenny not being able to her friends not letting her date me because i'm
0: punk that was absolutely relevant to the story Oh yeah. That's a, yeah, that's a big plot point. It's, I I was friends with a girl in, in my high school uh, class and she told me one time about when I, I broke up with her, I put it in quotation marks Mm -hmm. because we were in like third grade. So not really a relationship, but, and apparently I said something to her that, Mm -hmm. that hurt her for years. And that was from, that was from third grade. And I asked her what it was and she was like, it was, she couldn't remember verbatim, but it was something about like, I had told her I didn't want to be near her or something. And even as a high schooler, I I remember thinking like, how could I have ever been that person? And that would have said something like that or, or done something like that. And it really, really freaked me out that I, that I couldn't, conceive of myself as being a thing that that I had clearly yeah. done something to, to hurt her that she held on to it long enough to, to mention it to me in high school um, was there like <laughs> I don't want to say was there pain but talk to me about the the pain of of writing this story uh, on multiple levels whether it's your personal pain or, or re revisiting others and
1: mm-hmm.
0: because writing's hard enough <laughs> and then sort of diving into things uh, whether, whether they're comedic or like the mm-hmm. scene where you ask like, what's vegan mean? Uh, which I liked because I wouldn't have known that for a long time either at, at that age, but talk to me about the the process of working through some of the, mm-hmm. the pain that you might've, yeah, um, way, if you felt any. I think that the hardest parts
1: were, um, were writing my, Writing my mom and also writing, yeah, and writing Ty in a way that honored him. Because, um, mm-hmm. I guess starting with my mom, like, uh, you know, I was a jerk, you know, I mean, I was a teenager, I was a jerk. I can dismiss yeah. myself as being like, oh, that's how teenagers are. My teenager is a jerk, like, you know, but, um, But I don't know if all those wounds have healed, you know, um, on either of our sides. Yeah. Um, And she was definitely someone who I wanted her to see that uh, as an adult, I'm empathetic to um, how disrespectful I was to her. Um, Also, how I really saw her, you know? And maybe give her a glimpse of why we disconnected, you know, the ways I needed support that she wasn't able to meet me at or whatever, you know. Um, And so when the book was done, I kind of took, I took the risk of doing the whole book without really talking to her about it. And then asking her for permission, you know, like after the fact. And I don't know what she would have. I don't know what I would have done if she was like, if she said no, I don't want to be in this, or I don't want to be represented that way, or whatever. You know, I'd be like, well, I don't know what I would have done at that point. But um, being the um, forever doting, forever supportive mother that she is, she did give me permission um, and did recognize herself in it, Um, and even when some reviewers have been, have used adjectives to describe her that I didn't necessarily like, like, uh, clueless. Um, I, you know, kind of meekly walked or like called my mom and I was like, I don't know if you read that review yet, but you know, and she read it and she was like, I was clueless. I didn't know any of this stuff was going on. (laughs) You know, like, so that, you know, that is, uh, I think that, you know, that's a little healing for both of us. Um, And then with Ty, I think that I walked into the book still having some resentments towards him um, because, uh, you know, I recognize that he was a hugely influential uh, person who... Uh, you know was my touchstone to punk rock and him being black like made everything okay but I still had resentments um because he was like cooler than me and he was you know some of those were jealousies that I just never even thought of like oh I'm I'm still jealous of this dude like from when I was 13 you know um and some of it was uh resentments about you know because our the way our friendship ended and, you know, just whatever. And I remember really late drafts of the, of the book, kind of, kind of like throwing him under the bus a little bit at the end. And again, my partner was just like, you didn't write him into the book so that you could throw him under the bus. You know, like you, you need to focus on why he's there in the first place, which is because, it's to honor him. Like he was the person who made it all right for me to be black and punk, the first person, you know? Um, yeah. so I need to respect that. And, um, so I was able, so I, you know, in the last scene that we see of him, uh, it's interesting because I didn't really change much except for my tone, you know, and, uh, yeah. and giving him some honor instead of allow it, instead of like using those same cells to disrespect him, you know? Um, yeah, you know, and again, it's like, I, I, I think that that's ultimately healing because now like, I don't have those resentments, you know, I don't think about him and think yeah. about anything negative, you know, I'm just like, yo, that, that dude, like, he was the black punk who made it okay for me to be a black punk, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a, uh, and that's a huge deal. It comes through in the book too. You know, you see him and your guys's connection. um, And it does sit. I really like to think of the, of you honoring him. And then also you earlier mentioned mm-hmm. having empathy for all. Yeah. The I mean, characters. even, even the Nazi, like I was like,
1: when I think about what, So the, so the, I guess the behind the scenes, like, um, I'm never, I'm not, I'm never like shy to, to talk about like who, what's real and what changed. Um, so yeah. In a lot of cases, um, these stories are like two different people that are combined into one. Right. And that is just really because it's already a 370 page book or something. It's like, You know, um, yeah. But in the case of Ethan and George, the two Nazis, those are two different characters that were actually one person. And the reason that I did that was because, um, he, the 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 guy who it's based on, he I saw him struggling with the reality of having two close friends of color, and the outside influences that were, um, causing him or, or urging him to be a neo-Nazi skinhead, you know? Um, and like, for instance, that scene where George, where we're having band practice and George tells, uh, Ethan to get rid of these, uh, I don't know if he uses the word nigger or what, but get rid of these guys and then you, and then you can join the Aryan brotherhood. Yeah. The nigglets, I think I said, um, like that really happened, but it was like an outside Nazi saying that to my friend. And we were right. We were right there, you know, Uh like the experience is the same for me, you know, where I'm like, did this guy just say to get rid of his friends? Like you know, I'm right to here, join you that, <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, so, you know, and I, and I saw after that experience, him really like struggling, um, even in my selfish 13 year old brain, I could be empathetic to like, oh man, this guy's got a different struggle, you know? Um, yeah, because how do you, how, how can you have niggers go back to africa spray painted on your wall and then and then be in in a room where two bl- your two black friends are hanging out you know it's like it doesn't make sense right, and they yeah. need like extreme racists are always like trying to figure out how to make all this stuff make sense right um so i, I, I have empathy for 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 his struggle um but i felt like he would be less empathetic if he was also the guy who is beating people up and do you know what I'm saying like we need we need right we need yeah. to we need to have yeah, somebody no, yes. that we can just like comfortably hate you know
0: <laughs> sure well yeah and an an actual antagonist like within a, a fictional story like i feel like especially now within popular culture people gravitate mm-hmm. towards anti-heroes and having somebody who's like, that guy's a piece of shit, full stop.
1: Yeah. Um, but then even help him, narrative. <laughs> George, the older brother, he's, you know, a bit of a mustache twirling villain, but you get a little bit of insight to why he became a Nazi because there's, there's the scene where, um, where he like tries to talk to Ty's older sister. Um, and it's clear that it's made clear that he, years ago had a crush on her and that rejection like is still simmering you know
0: i think that's such a such a a, probably the biggest theme Mm -hmm. of the book who is going to accept me you know where is my my group and watching those two neo-nazi characters struggle with who's going to accept them and also seeing you know the character of james going through that same thing. um, I think is one of the reasons why the book has such impact. Um, Even though, you know, it's, you can see one of them and be like, man, that guy's, I mean, that, that cognitive dissonance though, of being like, well, how's he hanging out with these guys? And I I never questioned Mm -hmm. it either as being unreal uh, because I grew up in, I mean, I grew up in a a really, really small Mm -hmm. town and we had one black kid that went to my high school. So it, the book looked very much like, you know, the small town in Indiana that I grew up in and those weird decisions of like the, the hardcore racists having to try and balance the scales of what is acceptable or not acceptable for them while being around people that they, they hate, or they supposedly hate, Thank like, you. you captured it well. Yeah. And, and again, it's like, that wasn't made up the,
1: the, that having a crush on this woman of color as a Nazi, like that wasn't made up either, you know, like that, that, that actually was my friend's story too, you know? So it's like, you know, yeah, I didn't have the, the guts then to be like, dude, I'm black. Your other, your other best friend from high school, I mean, from preschool is a person of color. You have a crush on this Mexican girl. Like, What are you talking, like, what are you talking about? Yeah, Yeah, you're not, like, you're not who you're saying you you are. Swastika on the flag on the wall, like, what what is, you know, it doesn't make sense. And, you know, it's like trying to fit in with something that, you know, so all that to say is that um, I kind of went in with each character separately and said, okay, who is this person? What do they want? Right. Um, and what's stopping them from getting it, you know? And that's kind of, like, basic storytelling, I think. Um, But it's also true to life, you know? So it's, like, I understood that, like, Ty just wants to be in a band. He just wants to be on stage. Like, that is his goal. That is his dream. And, you know, here are all the things getting in the way of that, you know? So once I understand that, then I can kind of write the uh the true moments i can get i can get rid of pieces of the story that are irrelevant to that want and i can just focus on the pieces of that i know about him that are relevant to that want you know so i can have the running gag about fishbone yeah. and the chili peppers um and him going to see fishbone and whatever because it's like you know it's it's a story that he he told and you know, um, yeah. So putting it in, you know, three or four times throughout the book, it's kind of like, of course, that's the story he's going to tell. Like, look at where we live. You know, the, the fact that he left town to go to a show right. is like major news, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, all of that stuff. There's. It's so weird because like this was in, it's in California and I grew up like literally in the middle of a cornfield, basically. And the the fact that I even found out about Bad Brains mm-hmm. I still have no idea how um, that happened in the small town that I I grew up in. But that's another aspect of of you were talking about the external struggles of the Nazi characters and their internal struggles, struggles. And my, my perception of what punk was and is um, changed so much over the course of the years, like, like yours has. And the parts in your book where you talk about white bands writing songs, uh, where they are ironically, uh, talking about racism or, or saying things that don't set, like that was one of the points where I was like, shit, <laughs> this, this feels so accurate to, to the, the place that I grew up in where further into my twenties than I would even that I'm proud of, like thinking of, of things that are ironic. And I actually had a friend named Liz suburbia one time who mm-hmm. she put a zine out where I what, talked about this specific thing. And I was so happy to see your book, Talk about the ways that those, you know, "quote unquote" ironic songs by punk bands are not yeah. helpful. <laughs> well, you're going to love my uh,
1: my my new book because I have an entire chapter dedicated to that, and just this this idea of there's there's the ironic punk punk songs that are like using uh, speaking from the perspective of a racist to show how dumb it is right you know i think like the uh the stiff little fingers song is like a really great example because if you don't know anything about the stiff little fingers you would just think they were a nazi band based on that song right um you don't if you don't know that they're irish so them them as an american there's part of the song is them uh insulting irish people if i if are they irish or scottish uh i yeah uh, Um, so don't like Um, people don't yell at me okay it's one of those two i'm a i'm a ignorant american (laughs) yeah um but that but it goes to my point (laughs) right they they are insulting themselves using a racial slur for themselves but as ignorant americans right we just hear like somebody who like with an english accent or something and you would just think that they were a racist band right so the irony uh goes over our head you know uh, Black Flag's White Minority, like, that's like a much more clever, I mean, not more clever, more uh, popular one. And it's a song that has confused people for generations, right? So there's that. But then there's also the allied N-word, right? Um, and you, ha- so you have bands like Dead Kennedys, who are doing the same kind of thing. Um, Christian Death. It's like, what? what are you guys talking about? You know, like, you know, um, right. it's just it's not helpful, you know, um, and it doesn't age right. well. And, you know, and going to, uh, you know, and not discounting um, the elephant in the room guilty of being white um, by minor threat. It's like, I know you guys had the best intentions. I know that um, you were talking about racism from the perspective that you could understand it you know, and the way that you can see it.
0: Yes. But um, it was a failure. It didn't work, you know? Right. And that's, as, as I grew up and aged into those ideas about how can I talk about these things, um, I like making fun of stupid racists and trying to figure out how to do it. Like seeing your book talk about it. it I mean, honestly, there was, there was a part that I saw myself in the past and realized mm-hmm. that I didn't like how I would have talked about those things. Um, which was one of the reasons why I think the book had some of the the big impact it had on me. Not only because I'm, I consider myself, it's so weird. I would never call myself a punk. I was just about to be like, cause I'm a punk. And then I was like, <laughs> you can't call yourself that. And that, that makes me wonder more about why I wouldn't want to, why I wouldn't want to call myself that. Anyway, we, that's a different show. I was glad you called, co- you covered that stuff though. And in a way that obviously fit in with your narrative and, 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 uh, I feel like touched on a really important subject because doing damage in a situation, especially when you're trying to be helpful and inclusive is awful. So I was happy to see that. What's your,
1: can you talk about your next Um, book?
0: I am excited. What's uh, it going to be? I should say ahead of that.
1: Um, I have a, I co-edited an
0: anthology coming out
1: in October called, uh, Black Punk Now and it's uh and it okay it's an anthology of black punk writers um and comics creators uh that's coming out in soft school it'll be out, out October 31st so that's like Hell yeah. right up on our heels um the book that i'm about to i haven't signed the deal yet but it's you know offers made and everything um is a it's it's another memoir it's prose but with illustrations so it it's hybrid you know i mean it feels kind of like a comic but there's a lot of prose and uh it's it's tackling my afropunk story um starting like literally right when the high desert ends like the first chapter is me on the road with my mom uh moving to new york um and then, and it and it goes through um, me learning all of my like ethics and morals and uh, values and the the economics of punk, like all of that stuff. And then um, you know also dealing with all the things that the self hate and all the things that led me to want to make the Afro punk documentary in my early twenties, and then building a black uh, alternative community and you know quite frankly letting capitalism seep in and and the ways that I sold out and eventually uh left the company like I was almost pushed out like my moral there was no room for punk ethics or morals when uh yeah. in a in a corporation you know uh so it's it's a bit of a capitalist uh, cautionary tale um there's also like a rewarding end to that story um, because uh, because of the underground's reaction. Um, so, you know, so it's, it's, you know, it's, so it's that, it's that journey of like uh, the mainstream gobbling up the underground and the underground reacting.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I'm insanely looking forward to that. That sounds awesome. Um, and the soft skull anthology, that's gonna be cool too. Writing the, your graphic novel because mm-hmm. I, I write comics and prose, so I love the the pop, the idea of switching back and forth because I try to do that a lot. What was it like? Right. Like, did you write a full script for the graphic novel? Were you? I'm also super interested. I wish I could talk to you a lot longer. Um, and so I, did you write full script? And how were you focusing on making characters sound other than uh, yourself since you're writing a memoir where mm-hmm. you're one of the main characters? The, the process of being like, this sounds too much like me? Or did you go through that? Um, like speaking dialogue out loud mm-hmm. to try and uh, dial it in?
1: Yeah. Um, so I did write a script, like traditional um, script software script. I didn't, uh, I didn't confine myself to 90 pages or anything like that. I just let it be as long as it needed to be. Um, so I didn't know how long the book would be until I uh, kind of like quote unquote, locked the script. And then I thumbnailed the book based on the script. And I was like, oh, this is like 350 some odd pages. Like, better get started, you know. Um, interestingly, maybe um, none of the narration was in the script. Yeah. So I wrote the whole oh, really? thing, drew the whole thing, and then was like, uh, i I got notes like I don't know where I am, I don't know when I am, you know, so I started with like meanwhiles and next you know later that day or whatever, and then I started having this need to um i mean again it's it's my partner she she was saying from the beginning that I need it needs to have an adult voice and it just reads like a teen um drama, and I have to I have my own process, you know, and I think. Coming from film, I thought narration was lazy, you know? And I've also read yeah, no shortage of graphic novels that rely too heavily on narration. And they're just telling us stuff. And then the drawings are yeah. really, like, kind of, like, secondary. So I really, mm-hmm. so I, I, I kind of tell myself, like, I would do it this way again. Because everyone tells me that the uh, drawings are so expressive. That they could even read it, they could just look at the pictures and and get the story. Um, and that is you know that plays right into my filmmaking like background, right So yeah. adding the narration really like amplified things and I was able to pick and choose where I spoke up as opposed to like doing it throughout and and having like the dialogue is as important and I know that if I would have put it in before, it would just been super wordy. And this way I was able
0: to kind of just like come in with a, a one-two punch and then leave, you know? So did that lead to a, like a re-edit of the entire book to put the those narration boxes in? Um,
1: it led, it, I mean, it led to like me changing some box sizes. Yeah. You know, there are, there are a couple pages where I would have laid it out differently had I had the, you know... Like, I can think in particular, like, there's a page in New York where I'm talking about Tompkins Square Park, and, like, the, the narration, like, bleeds into the street, and, you know, it's really taking over the cell, and I wouldn't have done it that way if if I hadn't already drawn. I mean, I, I did redraw some things, you know? I did make some boxes smaller. I did, like, you know, but for the most part, it was fine. There was There was, I'm not saying that much, and there's places for me to... Uh, make the drawing smaller, yeah. make the boxes, whatever. Like it, it worked out fine.
0: The two of the things I even cited them in my notes that I remembered and stuck out to me was the apology to your mom, which was in a, uh, mm-hmm. one of your narration boxes. Um, you talking about um, not speaking up to fit in and not get your ass beat. That was in a narration box. My point being, they fit in to the story very well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was definitely like, Thank you. I mean, it, it it definitely didn't feel like a um, yeah. afterthought, you know? Uh, so it just goes to show that like, for me, that it was, um, it was kind of meant to be there the whole time. I just have had my own process, yeah. which, you know, it's like, I always do things the <laughs> hard way. I mean, you look at the drawings, it's like, they didn't have to be as detailed there as they are. It's just like, I just made things hard for myself.
0: I I understand.
1: (laughs) I totally understand. Yeah. And then to answer your question about the, uh, characters voices, um, I'm sure at one, I know that at certain points I was like, um, you know, Oh, this, like all of these people sound the same or whatever, you know, but, and that was early on. I think the, the more that I understood who they were, the easier it was for me to get into their bodies, you know? Because with memoir, again, it's like, these are memories. So, and it's dialogue, you know, very few of us can remember dialogue, you know. You can remember, like, that one thing that one person said that, like, really hurt you or something, you know. But you can't remember every conversation, you know. So, it was definitely like, okay, who is, who is Sin, you know. Like, who is that, who is Cynthia Sanders. And for me, like, I didn't know that girl very well, you know? I was scared of her. Like, she was in eighth grade and had already been in rehab, you know? Like, I was definitely... She was really intimidating, you know? She was... But I also remember her being, like, really loud and being, like... like You know, it's like, we know who this, this right. girl is, you know? Like, we've, we've met this person before. So embodying that character um, and allowing her to, you know cover her vulnerabilities with like, you know, anger, drugs, sex, like, and then, but then also having like little moments of wanting, like wanting to be loved. Yeah. And, you know, like it's just understanding what is her want, yeah. you know? And then speaking from that place. Um, And that she had different, much different wants than I did, you know? So we were, we're not going to be saying the same things. Yeah. You know?
0: I, uh, I think it all comes across really well. And that, the power of the like first person narration of a memoir. Um, those narration uh, blocks, I do think you bounce them because I've, I've read those graphic novels too, where it's like, you don't have to tell me that you're doing this thing. I see the picture the thing is happening. It's there. Um, but yours are always spare enough or, or, you know, they do bring in the, the voice that's needed to, to give maybe more context. I, I think it works really well.
1: Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I just made a rule for myself that like, uh, very little of the narration is going to be anything that 13 year old James would say or think, Yeah, you know? Um, so there are a couple moments where I let it, let it go where like, and it's still like, like I'm thinking of this one part where like, there's the character Derek, who's like, he's just the idiot jock who like keeps picking on me and stuff. Right. And I, and I had this like, him like looking at the like the drawing is him like trying to give like a hard face or something you know and i wrote and i wrote like this is the face josh makes when he's trying to be hard or when he's trying to be intimidating a dick, <laughs> you know? right and it's like yeah both me at 13 and me now think that right. he's a dick you know but <laughs> but for the most part you know i tried to be insightful and not just like you know, I, I kind of tried to leave the comedy to the to the yeah. kids and be more insightful um, in in my adult narration. Yeah.
0: Well, I love your book. Um, I'm super pumped to read those other two. Uh, I loved your documentary, which I got to watch last night. Um, where should people like is your go to Spooners and, and check out your stuff? Will you have announcements for the books and everything there? Yeah, um,
1: I, sh- I I I. I'm planning to make the the Black Punk Now uh, page for my website um, this week, so that should be up soon. It, it's you know it's on the Soft Skull website okay. if anybody wants to pre-order it. And uh, the other one, I'll announce. Uh, you know, it'll probably be a year. I'm still like fiddling with the name and all the stuff. So uh, you know, the, the book's not going to come out for a couple years. Okay. So it takes a while to. I've been written. I've only I've written it like. A third of it. So yeah, it's, it's a, a process. slow
0: process to put books out for a lot, and in graphic novels especially, because it's a ton of <laughs> it's a ton of work.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's I mean, part of why I'm doing prose is uh, just because I don't want to spend five <laughs> yeah. years on this yeah. story. You know, like got other stories yep, to tell. I get it. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, last thing I'll ask you uh, before we uh, head out: What's one of the best punk shows you've ever seen? Oh wow.
1: Um, can I tell you two? Heck yeah! Just because I recently, maybe two less than two years ago, um, there is a band from Australia called Amil and the Sniffers.
0: Oh, I was gonna say if you say the Stiff Richards, that's the album I bought right before I bought your oh, book. Oh wow! <laughs> no, um, Amil and the Sniffers.
1: Um, they uh, I saw them at the Telegram Ballroom. It's probably like a five hundred cap, and uh, it was packed. It was like. They are so good, so much fun. They have so many catchy songs, and it w- it it felt to me what when I see videos of Los Angeles punk in 1982, where like you know seven people are stage diving at the same time. Yeah, like that's what was happening. The entire room was a pit. You know, like like if you know anything about Los Angeles punk from the 80s, it was always just like, how do they have a 400 person circle pit? You know, <laughs> this like, is crazy. Yeah. And that's what was happening. It was it was amazing. Um, I'm curious because I've seen them recently. Uh, I saw them a few months ago, and they were in like a, a thousand cap room. So they're getting they're getting bigger. Yeah, and it didn't have the same energy because like now there's the barrier between the wall yeah. and you know so people couldn't stage dive as much. It you know it's what they might be one of those bands that like as they get bigger they lose something and yeah. I saw them in their sweet spot, you know, but, um, but nonetheless, they're a great band. So that was really good. And then, um, the other one that comes to mind was like probably in 2005 or something like that. It was an Afropunk show where we had this, this band called Defe Faye D D dash F E. Um, you can still find some of their videos online, but they're, um, they're from France they are all Caribbean and African immigrants and they're playing this like very like heavy chugga chugga metal with like two vocalists, you know, one that's like, I mean, one's a woman and one's a guy and they're both like one, the girl, the girl had a very like kind of monster vocal, you know? And um, somebody's playing, like, this one-stringed kind of African instrument. And, I mean, it's, it's – the music itself is bananas. But that – like, it was in this place that's, like, 150 people, 250, 200 people. Like, we used to do these parties in the Delancey in New York and a little basement venue. And the whole place was, like, one organism. Just, like, yeah. the whole room – There's no mosh pit because it's just tight and everybody is just, like, swaying, like, you know, banging. Like, the people in the front are, like, you know, their shins are bleeding because they're on, you know, like, the stage is so low. (laughs) Right. And it's just, like, the whole room is just one organism. And I've had a couple of those kind of experiences in my life. Um, Early 90s, seeing a frail and chokehold in a barn in, like... um, in like Allentown, Pennsylvania or something. It's like same thing where it's just like, there's no individual left. The whole room is just one organism and just swaying to that locomotive guitar, you know? It
0: feels amazing.
1: It's, yeah, that's, you know, for me, it's like as someone who's never been in a band of note, I've always been part of the, I've always been in the audience, you know? Yeah and now as a as a grown up i think like i'm way more interested in the audience yeah you know like when i see band photos i want like i'm looking at who's in the front row I, like i love that there's all these there's just this non-stop uh ability to get photos of of shows and there's a lot of photographers who take pictures of the audience like That's because that's the community. That's why we're there. You know, I always try to remind people that, like, we all love the music. That's why we come. That's that that say that again, like we all love the music, but the band is the excuse for us as a community to get together. Right. I mean, that's what like punk is to me. Right. Like if I go see, I don't know, like, you know, if I go to the Hollywood Bowl and see like, you know, a mainstream act, you know. If I go see ELO or something, like, I'm not there to make friends, you know? I'm there to hear this band, you know? And I'm not going to walk out of there with any new buddies, you know? Yeah. Um, But, like, punk and hardcore shows, like, I was there to be part of a community, you know? I was there to, like, sell zines, I was there to, like, argue with people over, like, what brand of veganism we should be having, <laughs> you know, like I was there to make friends and meet girls and, you know, like it's, 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 it's a community and the, the band is just an excuse for us to meet at this place. Right. You know? Um, so when, you know, I have these experiences, you know, you ask this question and I'm like really interested in what the audience is doing. You know, like, yeah, the music is why we're doing it. Yep. You know, but uh, the reason that I felt high in those moments is because I was not it was not about me or the band. It was about this, this community, like working. It's like an ecosystem, you know?
0: Yeah. Feeling connected to a thing that you can't see. Mm hmm. Like it exists, obviously, you know, in the sound waves and the bands doing this thing where they're like playing us with the music. The music is playing the audience, but feeling that connection to a thing that doesn't like you can't really grab it or, or and it's going to go away. Yeah, it I can't mean, last forever. Maybe,
1: you know, I've always had a trouble with this word, um, it, but maybe that is what spirituality is, you know? It's like the everyone in that room has got the Holy Ghost,
0: you know? <laughs> that was my chat with James Spooner, creator of the graphic novel The High Desert, available now. Make sure you go grab it, read it, listen to some punk music. You can go to spoonersnofun.com to check out all of his work you can pre-order that soft skull press anthology that he co-edited with Chris L Terry called black punk now. So go to soft You can find it there and yeah, let me know what you thought of the show. Uh, shoot me an email. I have a contact page on my website at austinrwilson.com. share the show, tell other writers about it, tell other people, anyone doesn't have to be a writer. Um, I want to make sure everybody who, who maybe could get something out of it, Here's it. I've already got a couple other interviews scheduled coming up next month, so watch out for those. Go do some writing, have fun, and tell a story.